And I'm Chris. And this is Eggs and Espionage, the origins of James Bond. coming in through the windows you have a garage office yeah it's the last owners used it as like an art studio mm-hmm. but you're using it as a uh it was a chicken breeding ground for a minute now it's just a vacant vacant room where did the center. chickens live why don't you let them live They're in, in the coop now oh they gotta live in a coop <laughs> yeah so chapter seven i have in my Brief and pithy uh, summary here. Bond ruminates on gambling methods and philosophy. He meets Felix Leader for the first time, or his USA counterpart. Orders what becomes the most, uh, I would say, famous of all Bond drinks, right? Mm -hmm. But I think you're missing a crucial element of Chapter 7 in your summary, which is that James Bond just survived a bomb attack. And is very likely heavily concussed because he's like vomiting and stuff. And they just take him and stick him in a hotel room where he just starts to drink. And that's all it takes to recover from being heavily concussed in an explosion. Um, he just sits he's, got his, he's got his hot toast, his pate, and his lobster. Yeah, right? Like, he's feeling better. He, he, he really knows how to take care of himself. He is kind of like a video game character already. His health regenerates super quickly. It's just like a little bar going back up. Oh. <laughs> that's right right oh, like so he, he, he survives his bomb attack he gets taken back to the hotel um orders lunch and drinks um and eats lobster and stuff that's in the last chapter and then moving on to chapter seven where the first thing he does is order uh, a masseur and he gets a swedish masseur to come up to his room um right. massage him back shower. to health what's that after a cold shower after a cold shower Right? This is the time where you have a cold shower, then you... <laughs> he awoke in the evening completely refreshed. <laughs> Almost dies at a bomb attack. Wakes up feeling good, dude. And Fleming's so great. He specifies that the masseur is a Swede, because, of course... The stereotype of a secret agent... There's a lot of stereotypes that come out of this. Like, the stereotype of a secret agent is from this book. Like, he created that stereotype. So, what sure. other stereotypes did he create while he was changing uh the way we see culture so i don't know but it is a swede as you would expect i'm sure it was tall and blonde yep yeah and then bond starts to go into some of his uh thoughts about gambling and women and other great stuff here so right bond had always been a gambler he loved the dry rifle of the cards and constant unemphatic drama of the quiet figures around the green table loves the sad people's faces the excitement and the dry riffle of cards, I feel like. Dry riffle of cards, the monotony of the gambling, uh, the casino, the monotony of the casino. Uh, he liked being an actor and a spectator from his chair to take part in other men's dramas. Right, he talks about gambling. Luck was a servant, not a master. Right, it had to be accepted with a shrug or taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And then leading to one of my favorite lines about gambling. Bond saw luck as a woman. To be softly wooed or brutally ravaged, never pandered to or pursued. He was honest enough to admit that he had never been made to suffer by cards or by women. And then, and that, but then follows right up to say, hey, but one day he knew he's going to basically be, either it's going to be a woman or it's going to be cards that are going to bring him to his knees. <laughs> I quote, 
he maintains that the more effort and ingenuity you put into gambling, the more you took out of it. He says there's really nothing to it. But you gotta have a method. You gotta have a method. Whatever your method follow is. Follow that method. Follow your instincts, but follow a method. Don't just don't just go in there and bet willy nilly. Exactly. So it's it's kind of like uh, he has he's he's kind of like saying a man needs a code. Doesn't matter what your yeah. code is, but choose one and stick to it. Yeah. So then Bond goes in to like kind of warm up with a little bit of gambling, right? Mm-hmm. This tall drink of water sits across across the table from him. Yeah, he, he rides along. So Bond's betting on. Uh, the, the roulette table, right? He has his little system. He's going to play one of his favorite gambits and back two. Um, so he backs the first two dozens, right? It's broken. Roulette's broken into 36 numbers. You can bet on it in a million different ways. Um, I actually learned a lot about roulette, playing roulette in Grand Theft Auto 3. Um, sure. Shout out GT3. Bond had a feeling that it might be the CIA man. He knew he was right. <laughs> He could just sense it, right? And the guy walks up, introduces him, says, Hi, my name's Felix Leiter. For the first time, too, Bond introduces himself as, My name's Bond, James Bond. Yeah. It is, that's true. A very classic line. Classic, yeah. Classic sure. line. Introduced here on page 44. Mine's Bond, James Bond. And Felix, uh, we should probably talk, I think we talked a little bit about Felix, right, when we, when we didn't, when we forgot to record it. But he's basically, he's kind of like Bond's opposite in a little bit, right? He's a very kind of gregarious, tall, slender American. I guess that's all there really is to say about him. Yeah. But they have this kind of bond that, that starts here and develops into what will become a beautiful friendship. Over many novels. Over many, many novels. Later pops up again and again. Which, oddly enough, Mathis, I don't really think does, right? Does Mathis come up again in any? Maybe one or two? I don't remember him. But... I don't think he does, so I... I feel like Fleming drops that the French counterpart, but but he doesn't go back to France for. I can't even remember the next time he goes back to France. I'm making my drink now. Listen for the sound. I'm listening of James Bond's classic line. Some vigorous, uh, vigorous shaking. What do you mean? Of course there's vigorous shaking. Did you not shake yours vigorously? Did you stir yours? I did not. It did not stir. It's not a terrible drink, I will say. The Lille has a nice, adds kind of a nice floweriness to it, right? Kind of takes a little bit of the harshness of the gin and the extra vodka for some reason is needed in there. But when the lemon finally, when the twist finally settles in, that's when it, I think it really starts to get its flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not follow the recipe. Good. Precisely. Um, I didn't go with, with the, the quinoa lele or whatever. I went with our classic uh, vermouth. Um, I don't think they make quinoa lele anymore. No, they don't. That went defunct yeah. in the 80s or something. So it, oh. I, I was just reading, it says uh, in the original Kina Lile, um, it was named so because of the quinine or the quinquina um, that was used in, in the liqueur. Okay. So, so it's, the... uh, it's a wine-based spirit that used to use quinine, mm-hmm. hence the name. But they stopped producing that in 1986. It's produced mm-hmm. from 80, 1887 to 1986. 
The huh. International Bartenders Association recommends Lille Blanc mm-hmm. in replacement. So that's what I got. Did you uh, use a potato vodka or a grain vodka? I used a grain vodka. It's organic prairie yeah, grain vodka. I went with yeah. uh, Portland potato vodka and uh, some other Portland gin as well. That name I can't remember. It's not in front mm-hmm. of me. I used uh, a Bombay Bombay Dry yeah. from our wedding still. Um, and what's actually interesting is Bombay, I mean, everything's pretty much 40% alcohol. Um, but this is still a little bit above. It's 43%, mm-hmm. which is um, a little closer to the original strength of the Gordon's gin, which is supposed to be 47, I think. That was just um, one of the various distinctions I noted researching how you cannot make this cocktail the ingredients no longer exist right so let's talk about that let's talk about the scene so felix and bond meet uh they decide to go have a drink at a bar this is still probably i think mid-afternoon right i would say maybe four or five o'clock bond insists on ordering leaders hague on hague which i believe was a kind of a scotch on the rocks he looks over at the barman and says a dry martini one in a deep champagne goblet. We monster. We monster. <laughs> Just a moment. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lele. Shake it very well until it's ice cold, and then add a large, thin slice of lemon peel. Got it? Certainly, monsieur. The barman seemed pleased with the idea. No. Gosh, that's certainly a drink, said Lighter. <laughs> Possibly really? my favorite line. Like... I mean, back in Texas, we drink alcohol out of the still. Well, by golly, I never heard a drink like that. (laughs) Gee willikers, you (laughs) Europeans are sure dignified. Uh, That Bond says a great line. I never have more than one drink before dinner, but I do like that one to be very large, very strong, and very cold, and very well made. I hate small portions of anything. And then he criticizes the barman that, hey, you know... Not trying to split hairs here, but if you use grain vodka instead of potato, it would be even better. Well, there's a couple things that are interesting about the effect of this scene on the world. I discovered that vodka was not always a popular drink in the West, in America and England. England was very big on gin. America was was drinking their bourbon, their whiskey, pouring gin from England, and those are like the big cocktail mixing alcohols until the 50s. And after this book, people started drinking vodka. There was this like influx of vodka into the U.S. that hmm. um, according to Drink Magazine, between the years of 1950 and 1955, the sales of vodka in the U.S. went from 40,000 cases a year to 4 million cases a year in Whoa. five years. Um, and this book was published in 53. So it was like right on the cusp of this like vodka explosion that we have Ian Fleming introducing the idea of vodka and talking knowledgeably about vodka and inventing a vodka martini, which was typically served with gin. Fascinating. Vodka makes up only one quarter of the like significant alcohol content in here, right? That might be why, I mean, why it sits so well or sat so well with readers who were used to gin martini, and now it's just squeaking in this new thing instead of saying, like, 
you should make a martini with tequila. You know, they like squeak in that new ingredient, that new exotic Russian ingredient. But now I, I honestly grew up thinking martinis were made from vodka. And then later on, I was like, wait, what's a gin martini? Like, right. I mean, it's it's kind of flipped, at least in my experience, it's it's been flipped to vodka being the entirety of the drink. Oh, 100%. I mean, not even, I don't even remember, I didn't even know gin existed. My parents were certainly not gin drinkers. So in the initial year, 1953, Casino Royale printed about just under 5,000 copies went up to 8,000 copies the next year, and it wasn't until 55 uh, that Pan Books issued a paperback version and sold 41,000 copies, which still isn't like gangbusters numbers, but I, I don't know if you could say one is tied to the other, but... I think that the interest would, right, the interest in the drink would spur the interest in the book, and then Correct. once that broke yeah. out into bars and got out of the cities into the into the country. And as we talk about later, Chapter 8... He orders just a carafe of vodka before dinner as a little aperitif. Ice cold little carafe of vodka, which is a really great thing if you find yourself in a situation to be in a Russian restaurant. Quite a fun way to have a meal. It gives you a nice little uh, buzz for the evening. Well, you know what? Something else I was reading was uh, that this, this drink actually uses, I wouldn't say a, a hefty measure of the vermouth. Or the Lille in your part. Pop culture sidebar. Um, the Lille doesn't appear too often in popular culture, this book being the main notable one. But apparently it is also the preferred drink of Hannibal Lecter. Mm. At least in the series of books written by Thomas Harris, it says in Wikipedia. I'm drinking mine from a martini glass. And it's, I mean, it's like a 50s martini glass. It's cut glass with like a floral pattern. It's, it's quite attractive, but it's not as big as a modern martini glass. It's a little bit smaller, and I could not fit the entire drink into it. Bond does order it in a deep champagne goblet. Right, which is I thought was interesting because I learned somewhere, I can't source this, but cocktail glasses, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s had been small, right? They could fit uh, an ounce or two ounces of, of liquor, um, but that's about it. And I found it very interesting that Bond is espousing his undying love of large, very strong, very cold, very well-made portions. And then he has to order a drink it's not designed for. I wonder if that, forcing our drinks to be bigger, but I think if I must have been on the edge of cocktail culture. The glassware is starting to change to accommodate these larger tastes. Interesting. And that, by the way, is one of the main notable differences from the movie and the book. In the movie, he does not specify a deep champagne goblet, and sure enough, they serve it to him in a pretty standard martini or cocktail glass. Right, which um, ties in with this idea that he didn't have to push the boundaries. <laughs> so I guess this is this is funny for his time. He's like, you know, I only drink one drink before dinner, uh, but I make sure that it actually is three drinks. <laughs> He's like, I rationalize it so deeply. I'm like, hey, buddy. I want a martini, pour it in a pitcher, and I'll call it one drink. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even the way he orders it, he, I, mean, I, I know, I know, because you're going to correct me, and I'm sure anyone listening will, will be correcting me here, but I know there's like a standard what one measure is versus two measures, but it really could be anything, right? So when he just says three measures of gin, one of vodka, half of lile, it's kind of up to the barman to, to decide how much a measure is there. That's true. The proportions are entirely in your control because he just wants to drink that one drink 
Um, another big difference in the movie, while we're here, Bond orders it at the table while they're playing the game. That's when Bond orders the drink to kind of throw a little bit of uh, frustrated suspense in for Le Chiv while he orders you his drink. You are absolutely correct. And then um, Felix later orders in the movie, follows up his order. Right. He says, one for me too. hold the fruit. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. It, it does change the context a little bit. He's He is drinking during his gambling as opposed to before it. But they also, to criticize the movie, um, they they worship, they grovel at his feet a little bit after he orders this cocktail. Yeah, two other people order with him. Right? Well, three, like, three, two other and then Felix. Yeah, so three people order with him, which I think this the way they do it in the scene, it kind of shows Le Chiv getting frustrated. Like, he just wants to get this shit over with. Let's play the game. Let me get my money. Let me get the hell out of here. And Bond's kind of slowing down the pace here and getting people on his side, right? The other, just while I'm on a roll here, in the movie, he almost seems surprised by his concoction. Drinks it, and I think he says in the film, if I remember right, it's like, oh, that's that's quite good. I'm going to have to come up with a name for that. Whereas in the book, it's almost like this is clearly something Bond has premeditated on, has thought about, and is even able to criticize the bartender on which vodka he uses. Yeah. I think the one critical difference in all the movies and all the books is that nowhere in the book does Bond say the famous line, shaken, not stirred. He never says that? I can't remember with a pretty good degree of certainty that nowhere in the books does he say shaken, not stirred. But it was a line, I think, as early as Dr. No, the first movie... And they've carried it through in like almost every film. And to Casino Royale's credit, I actually enjoy the scene where someone asks asks Bond, do you want this shaken or stirred? And he looks up and says, do you think I really give a damn or something like that? I'm starting to get a little sentimental about it. It's it's just a very attractive cocktail. I mean, <laughs> especially in, in 50s glassware. So there you have it. You may see a Vesper show up on a number of your hipster bar menus. Come on. <laughs> but the original recipe was three measures Gordon, one vodka, half measure of Kina Lile, shake it very well to ice cold, and then a thin slice of lemon peel. You got it? So yeah, those two, Lighter and Bond, get to know each other over some drinks. It's and Bond reflects that good Americans are fine people, and that most of them seem to come from Texas. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Bond hasn't met a ton of Americans at this point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's true anymore. I do know some lovely people from Texas um, who from are Texas. fine representations of America. I feel like any, any state's got some decent representation of, uh, of Americans here. But go, only good Americans are fine people. It, very kind of like British snooty. Uh, yeah, well, I've met some of the English, and they're not all roses, let me tell you. I'm sure good British are fine people. Mm-hmm. The kind of incredibly vague statement you could make about anything. Uh, and then Mathis meets up with them, right? They all kind of get together, high-five each other a bit. It's like getting on to be like 7.30 at night. This yeah. is like time frames. I can't live like this. As a, as a teacher, the idea that it's 7.30... And you're like, all right, I better go home and get changed and then go out for dinner and then stay up all night gambling. I can't <laughs> reconcile that anymore. Gambling 25 million francs. Yeah. I know. They're like 35 years old in this book. That's how I acted when I was 18 years old. So. 
All right. Professional hazard, really. So he goes back up to his room, takes a hot bath, followed by an ice-cold shower. Fleming's always very careful to indicate what temperature Bond's bathing is. That's true. I think he puts a lot of, um, he's, he's always, like, attuning his body to the task at hand. But Bond is, he's basically getting ready for dinner with Vesper, who he still refers to as the girl, right? She doesn't really become a woman or even Vesper until Bond kind of starts to fall for her a little bit. I feel like they haven't even exchanged names at this point. Yeah. So they did meet. But they didn't. They didn't uh, introduce they meet, themselves. They planned for dinner. Didn't exchange names. He wears a thin, double-ended black satin tie. Bond liked his very simple black ties. Mm-hmm. And then he gives him. He describes himself. He looks in the mirror and describes himself. And yeah. He likes. He likes what he sees. I think. Here he's looking in the mirror. He looks at his gray-blue eyes, looking calmly back with a hint of ironical inquiry, and a short lock of black hair, which would never stay in place, slowly subsided to form a thick comma above his right eyebrow. And he's got a scar down his right cheek. I mean, he's got all the hot stuff a woman wants to see, right? Exactly. As as he's reflecting on his his piratical good looks, um, he's filling his cigarette box with an additional fifty no cigarettes. No less than. No less than fifty. Cigarettes. No less than fifty cigarettes. Eight o'clock at night, right now. So he's he's about to go out to his evening. He needs fifty more cigarettes just to be safe. Yeah, classy, classy gunmetal box. Yeah. Moreland cigarettes. So he's got his Moreland's triple gold band. Yeah, made specifically for him. He's got his own bespoke tobacco blend. And his first mention of his weapon of choice here, right? Mm-hmm. Takes out his twenty-five caliber Beretta automatic with skeleton grip, which he has in, in quite a few books. But what I find interesting is in the first movie, um, they take that gun away from him. They give him the maybe more iconic Walther PPK. But in the book, he still has Beretta. It's a really small weapon. Doesn't yeah. have a lot of stopping power. But it's super small, so you can hide it easily. Which he does, right? He likes to fit it in his jacket, button it up, and make sure everything's everything's uh, looking good. Yeah. Uh, Lifestyles. Bond likes a single-breasted dinner jacket. Over a heavy silk, even, silk evening shirt, he felt cool and comfortable and verified in the mirror that absolutely no sign of the gun under his left arm. All right, so clearly he's a, he's a right-hand shooter. They don't say it in the book, but I bet he did a couple quick draws in the mirror, too, mm-hmm. just to practice, right? He had to. And then, and then he spoke into the mirror, and he's like, you're, you're James Bond. You're a bad motherfucker. <laughs> no to one's going to mess with you. I don't see anybody else around here. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Get himself psyched up. <laughs> um, cool. And then he goes to meet Vesper, remembers her beauty exactly. He was not surprised to be thrilled by it again. Bond does not get surprised often. Yeah, what do they mean? They meet for dinner in the in the hotel attached yeah. to the casino. So they're they're basically ready for gambling. He's basically about to start this most important job. Um, we really should have tallied how much he drank today already before going well, on this only, most important He's only had job. the one drink, right? The Vesper. No, he had one drink that evening. Yeah, he, this is the same day he met Matt. This is the same day the bomb exploded in his face. I did not tally it, but I'm, I know he drank with lunch. Um, and then he had uh, the Vesper. He has yeah. his Vesper. All right, so going into dinner, he's already had a few drinks. I don't know how he pulls that off because like, when I drink during the day, like, it I makes feel like grind, when you have but... a drink and then almost get blown up, that drink is kind of void, though. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. You know? And then he had a bunch of lobster, toast, and pate. He did take a nap, too, after his lunch drinks, I think. So. Yeah, he took a long... Well, after he almost died and was concussed, yeah. 
<laughs> I feel like that drink is void. So All right, so like he's we're, good. We're, we're starting we're, with the best. Friend. Restarting the drink timer. That was at like uh, seven o'clock. This is probably like eight thirty. Right, and they sit down, and of course he orders a a glass of vodka because he wants a glass of vodka. So they bring him a small carafe, very cold. Don's always very specific. I wonder if a waiter would actually do anything different if if you were like, hey, I want my drink very cold. It'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you get the same amount of ice. We always <laughs> put these things in. <laughs> Yep. Oh no, it's going to be extra cold for you, sir. And then oh, you spits in the cold. ice. <laughs> you got because we have a certain level of cold. We typically make these drinks. I would imagine the French would not be a big ice culture because the colder something is, the less you taste it. And the French are not about tasting things less. They're about really experiencing the full immersion of flavor. So yeah. I would imagine that he's probably making a good choice for himself. Um, but the Russians serve their vodka in blocks of ice. No, Some, there you go. You know, which is an amazing experience if you ever get a chance. Freeze a bottle of vodka in ice, whack that on the dinner table, best meal of your life. Yeah, so they meet up for dinner. Bond immediately takes charge and says, we'll have a glass of vodka while we order our dinner. And she gives, gives him, him a an look. amused look. And he corrects himself to give her the option of ordering something for herself. Right. Or a cocktail if you preferred. I mean, if you're going to be... A a cocktail? (laughs) I would like vodka. (laughs) Thank you for not ordering for me, but, you know, I kind of do want some vodka. I do want what you ordered. And then he introduces himself. I can't drink to the health of your new frock without knowing your Christian name. Vesper, she says. Vesper Lind. So Bond goes last name first, but she says, so they kind of do the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. Bond, James Bond, Vesper, Vesper Lynn. That is an echo of the double naming. Was that a yeah. thing people did? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what endears Bond to her. He's like, hey, she she does this cool double name thing like I do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but the more casual version where you start with your first name. I was born in the evening on a very stormy evening, according to my parents. So I wanted to remember it. Some people like it, others don't. I'm just used to it. She's got no opinion on her her funny name. Yeah, and then Bonds tries to steal it. The Vesper. It sounds perfect and very appropriate to the Violet Hour when my cocktail will now be drunk all over the world. To the Violet Hour. I like that description. The Violet, yeah, it is actually quite nice. So long as I can try one first. Bond encourages her to be expensive, and I think everybody should say this on dates, especially first dates. Uh, and now, have you decided what you will have for dinner? Please, be expensive. Yes, go for it. What, are, what is Bond eating at the Royale? Well, it's not just what Bond's eating. So, of course, Vesper starts off, and she'd like to start with caviar, and then have plain grilled rognan de vieux with pomme souffle, which is veal kidneys with twice-fried potatoes. Um, and then also for dessert, she would like to have the fraise de bois which is wild strawberries with a lot of cream. Uh, it's so simple, you know, so grilled simple. veal kidneys, fried potatoes, and then wild strawberries with, with cream. It's simple, but like completely yeah. decadent and delicious. Um, she complains that it's shameless, but Bond insists that it's a virtue to be so expensive. And then, as they're talking about the caviar, Bond says, the trouble is... Not how to get enough caviar, but how yeah, to get enough get caviar, man. with it. I mean, it's not like they sell it for $700 an ounce. Oh, wait, they do. Like, <laughs> But it's get enough toast. I mean, nobody thinks of the amount of toast. This guy loves his toast, man. 
That's true, but I feel like you do want to spread out caviar. I don't know if you've ever had it before. But now, and I love that that's like in a little aside while the waiter's uh, waiting for them to order. He's got to tell this little like, hey, here's how worldly I am. I know you can get caviar anywhere. You just, it's never, it's it's the toast, right? Nobody pays attention to that You shit. can get caviar anywhere that I go. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what does Bond order? And then he continues, I myself will accompany Mademoiselle with the caviar and a lot of toast. Don't fuck with the toast, mister. Right. Um, but then I would like to have very small tornadoes underdone and that's a, a filet like a small beef filet with sauce bernays and cour de artichoke which is artichoke, artichoke hearts while mademoiselle is enjoying the strawberries i will have half an avocado pear with a little french dressing and do then you approve? do you approve to the <laughs> maitre d hotel you're so sophisticated monsieur <laughs> as all servants <laughs> defer to james Boy. bond and then he calls the the sommelier over. Literally, I'm not even making this up. The maitre d' calls the sommelier and says, "Oh, oh, you must hear this order that they've placed. It is, as we say in France, parfait." To hear this order now, tell this man what he wants to drink. And Bon has learned his lesson. He says, "If you agree, I'll order for you again, but I would prefer to drink uh, champagne with you tonight." Mm-hmm. It's a cheer, and then he mansplains what champagne is. <laughs> it's a cheerful wine, <laughs> and it suits the occasion, I hope. Mm-hmm. So then they order some of the most expensive champagne on the market. He orders the Tattinger 45, but then the, the sommelier is like, no, 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 man. I got this Blanc de Blanc Brut from 1943. It's without equal. And Bond says, so be it. Mm-hmm. And then goes to mansplain the Brut de Brut that he didn't order <laughs> to Vesper. That is not a very well-known brand, he says, but, yeah, it's probably the finest champagne in the world. Then why didn't you order it, Bond? <laughs> why are you going with the Tattinger? Maybe the Tattinger was, like, $1,000 cheaper. <laughs> and Bond was just trying to save a little British dough on the expense report. He's like, damn it, I got to keep explaining these, like, expensive champagnes to M. And imagine the irony when he loses the entire gambling for the free world adventure by the thousand dollars he spent on the champagne at dinner. Yeah, well, maybe, Bob, if you ordered the Tattager 45, we wouldn't be in this fix. <laughs> it's a virtue to be so expensive. <laughs> and Bob admits, uh, he's modestly, you got to forgive me, Vesper. I take ridiculous pleasure in what I eat and drink. It comes partly from being a bachelor and mostly in the habit of a lot of trouble over details. It's very pernickety and old maidish, really. But then when I'm working, I generally have to eat my meals alone, and it makes it more interesting when one takes the trouble. So one, one last note I wanted to make on this, which I thought was really cute, is that Bond orders um, artichoke hearts with his uh, Bernays, his, his steak. It turns out that... To the direct translation of someone saying you have the heart of like an artichoke heart, you have the heart of an artichoke means that you're a hopeless romantic. It's a French ah. colloquial expression. And so you think you think Fleming dropped that in there? I think purpose? so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll give credit. You know, even if it was accidental, because Bond turns out to be a hopeless romantic in these books. That's right. And then the gambling will begin. And then the gambling will Eggs and Espionage is edited, mixed, and produced by Flashback Productions. 
Music in this episode is brought to you by Disposable Progress. I am your host, Chris, and along with my co-host, Ian, I want to thank you for listening to episode three in our review of Ian Fleming's Casino Royale, the first of the James Bond series novels. Join us in the next episode where we continue to explore chapters 9 through 13, where Bond finally sits down at the table to face the Shiv. What is Baccarat anyway? USA, A-OK, and Bond escapes death again, but all the luck in France wouldn't save him this time. All that in the next episode of Eggs and Espionage, The Origins of James Bond. Well, he only had one, though. We're having two. If we only had one, it would probably be okay. What's that? I'm not having two. What are we having two of? Oh, two drinks. Yeah. Chris, it's clearly too many for you. You've lost track already. (laughs) I'm not having two. Two of what? One one ounce. One ounce of hard liquor is the same as one sixteen ounces of beer, right? (laughs) So we're putting four beers in every one of these drinks, dude. Well, just a quick. I'm just gonna say something. If you could just shut up for like two seconds, so I have it recorded. Okay. Okay. I'm shutting up. Um, but so there you have it. I'm shutting up. Vesper. Oh my god, you're such a dick. <laughs>